Chapter Three of Clover. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellie. Clover by Susan Coolidge. Chapter Three: The First Wedding in the Family. The great job of the cake making over, a sense of leisure settled on the house. There seemed nothing left to be done, which need put any one out of his or her way particularly. Katy had among her other qualities a great deal of what is called forehandedness to leave things to be attended to at the very last moment in a flurry and a hurry would have been intolerable to her she firmly believed in the doctrine of a certain wise man of our own day who says that to push your work before you is easy enough but to pull it after you is very hard indeed all that winter without saying much about it for katie did not do her thinking outside her head she had been gradually making ready for the great event of the spring little by little a touch here and a touch there matters had been put in train and the result now appeared in a surprising ease of mind and absence of confusion the house had received its spring cleaning a fortnight earlier than usual and was in fair nice order with freshly beaten carpets and newly washed curtains katie's dresses were ordered betimes and had come home and tried on and folded away ten days before the wedding they were not many in number but all were pretty and in good taste for the frigate was to be in bar harbour and newport for a part of the summer and katie wanted to do ned credit and look well in his eyes and those of his friends all the arrangements kept studiously simple were beautifully systematized and the very simplicity made them easy to carry out the guest chambers were completely ready one or two extra helpers were engaged that the servants might not be overworked the order of every meal for the three busiest days was settled and written down each of the younger sisters had some special charge committed to her elsie was to wait on cousin helen and to see that she and her nurse had everything they wanted clover was to care for the two roses johnny to oversee the table arrangements and to make sure that all was right in that direction dear little amy was indefatigable as a doer of errands and her quick feet were at everybody's service to save steps Sassy arrived and haunted the house all day long anxious to be of use to somebody mrs ashe put her time at their disposal there was such a superabundance of helpers in fact that no one could feel overtaxed and katie while still serving as mainspring to the whole had plenty of time to write her notes open her wedding presents and enjoy her friends at a leisurely unfatigued fashion which was a standing wonderment to Sassy, whose own wedding had been of a wondrous sort and had worn her to skin and bone i'm only just beginning to recover from it now she remarked plaintively and there you sit katie looking as fresh as a rose not tired a bit and never seeming to have anything on your mind i can't think how you do it i never was at the wedding before where everybody was not perfectly worn out you never were at such a simple wedding before explained katie i'm not ambitious you see i want to keep things pretty much as they are every day only with a little more of everything because there are being more people to provide for if i were attempting to make it a beautiful picturesque wedding we should get as tired as anybody i have no doubt katie's gifts were numerous enough to satisfy even clover and compromised all manner of things from a silver tray which came with a rather stiff note from mrs page and lily to mary's new flower scoop debbie's sifter and a bottle of home-made hair tonic from an old woman in the country home each of the brothers and sisters had made her something katie having expressed a preference for presents of home manufacture mrs ashe gave her a beautiful sapphire ring and Sassy hall as they still called her inadvertently half the time an elaborate sofa pillow embroidered by herself 
Katie liked all her gifts, both large and small, both of what they were and for what they meant, and took a good, healthy, hearty satisfaction in the fact that so many people cared for her and had worked to give her a pleasure. Cousin Helen was the first guest to arrive, five days before the wedding, when Dr. Carr had gone to Buffalo to meet and escort her down, lifting her from the carriage and carried her indoors, all of them could easily have fancied that it was the first visit happening over again, for she looked exactly as she did then, and scarcely a day older. She happened to have on a soft grey travelling dress too, much like that which she wore on the previous occasion, which made the illusion more complete. But there was no illusion to Cousin Helen herself everything to her seemed changed and quite different the ten years which had passed so lightly over her head had made a vast alteration in the cousins whom she remembered as children the older ones were grown up the younger ones in a fair way to be so even phil who had been in white frocks with curls falling over his shoulders at the time of her former visit to burnet was now fifteen and as tall as his father he was very slight in build and looked delicate she thought but katie assured her that he was perfectly well and thin only because he had outgrown his strength it was one of the delightful results of katie's forehandedness that she could command time during those two days to thoroughly enjoy cousin helen she sat beside her sofa for hours at a time holding her hand and talking with a freedom of confidence such as she could have shown to no one else except perhaps clover she had the feeling that in so doing she was rendering account to a sort of visible conscience of all the events the mistakes the successes the glad and the sorry of the long interval that had passed since they met it was a pleasure and relief to her to cousin helen the recital was of equal interest for though she knew the main facts by letter there was a satisfaction in collecting the little details which seldom get fully put into letters one subject only katie touched rather gradually and that was ned she was so desirous that her cousin should approve of him and so anxious not to raise her expectations and have her disappointed that she would not half say how very nice herself she thought him to be but cousin helen could read between the lines and out of katie's very reserve she constructed an idea of ned which satisfied her pretty well so the two happy days passed and on the third arrived the other anxiously expected guests rose red and little rose they came early in the morning when no one was particularly looking for them which made it all the pleasanter clover was on the porch twisting the honeysuckle tendrils upon the trellis when the carriage drove up to the gate and rose sunny face popped out of the window clover recognized her at once and with a shriek which brought all the others downstairs fled down the path and had little rose in her arms before any one else could get there you see before you a deserted wife was rose's first salutation deniston has just dumped us on the wharf and gone on to chicago in that abominable boat leaving me to your tender mercies oh business oh business what crimes are committed in thy name as madame roland would say never mind deniston cried clover with a rapturous squeeze let us play that he doesn't exist for a while we have got you now and we mean to keep you how pleasant you look said rose glancing up the locust walk toward the house which wore the most inviting and hospitable air with doors and windows wide open and the soft wind fluttering the vines and white curtains ah there comes katie now she ran forward to meet her while clover followed with little rose let me that down piece said the young lady the first remark she had made i can walk all by myself i am not a baby any more will you hear her talk cried katie catching her up isn't it wonderful rosebud who am i do you think aunt tatty i des because you is so big is you married yet 
No, indeed, did you think I would get married without you? I have been waiting for you and Mamma to come and help me. Well, he is here, in a tone of immense satisfaction. Now you ten. The larger Rose, meanwhile, was making acquaintance with the others. She needed no instructions, but seemed to know by instinct which was each boy and each girl, and to fit the right names to them all. In five minutes she seemed as much as home as though she had spent her life in Burnet. They brought her into the house in a sort of triumph, and upstairs to the blue bedroom, which Katie and Clover had vacated for her. And such a hubbub of talk and laughter presently issued therefrom that Cousin Helen on the other side of the entry asked Jane to set her door open, that she might enjoy the sounds. They were so merry. Rose's bright, rather high-pitched voice was easily distinguishable above the rest. She was evidently relating some experience of her journey, with an occasional splash by way of accompaniment, which suggested that she might be washing her hands. Yes, she really has grown awfully pretty, and she had on the loveliest dark-brown suit you ever saw, with a fawn-colored hat, and was altogether dazzling. And, do you know, I was really quite glad to see her. I can't imagine why, but I was. I didn't stay glad long, however. Why not? What did she do? This in Clover's voice. Well, she didn't do anything, but she was distant and disagreeable. As Caslow observed it at first, I was so pleased to see one of the old Hillsover girls, and I went to being very cordial. Then Lily tried to put me down by running over a list of her fine acquaintances, Lady This and the Marquis of That, people whom she and her mother had known abroad. It made me think of my old autograph book with Antonio Vallombrosa and the rest. Do you remember? Of course we do. Well, go on. At last she said something about Count Ernest de Conflans. I had heard of him, perhaps. He crossed in a steamer with Mamma and me, it seems, and we have seen a great deal of him. This appeared a good opportunity to show that I too have relations with nobility. So I said yes. I had met him in Boston, and my sister had seen a good deal of him in Washington last winter. And what did she think of him? demanded Lily. Well, said I, she didn't seem to think a great deal about him. She says all the young men of the French legation seem more than usually foolish. But Comte Ernest is the worst of the lot. He really does look like an absolute fool, you know, I added pleasantly. Now, girls, what was there in that to make her angry? Can you tell? She grew scarlet, and glared as if she wanted to bite off my head, and then she turned her back and would scarcely speak to me again. Does she always behave that way when aristocracy is lightly spoken of? Oh, Rose, oh, Rose, cried Clover in fits of laughter. Did you really tell her that? I really did. Why shouldn't I? Is there any reason in particular? Only that she is engaged to him, replied Katie in an extinguished voice. Good gracious! No wonder she scowled. This is really dreadful. But then, why did she look so black when she asked where we were going, and I said to your wedding? That didn't seem to please her any more than my little remarks about the nobility. I don't pretend to understand Lily, said Katie temperately. She is an odd girl. I suppose an odd girl can't be expected to have an even temper, remarked Rose, apparently speaking with a hairpin in her mouth. Well, I've done for myself, that is evident, and I'd never expect any notice in future from the Comtesse de Conflans. Cousin Helen heard no more, but presently steps sounded outside her door, and Katie looked in to ask if she were dressed, and if she might bring Rose in, a request which was gladly granted. It was a pretty sight to see Rose with Cousin Helen. She knew all about her already from Clover and Katie, and fell at once under the gentle spell which seemed always to surround the invalid sofa, begged leave to say Cousin Helen as the others did, and was altogether at her best and sweetest when with her, full of merriment, but full too of a deference and sympathy which made her particularly charming. 
I never did anything so lovely in all my life before, she told Clover in confidence. To watch her lying there looking so radiant and so peaceful and so interested in Katie's affairs, and never once seeming to remember that except for that accident she too would have been a bride and had a wedding. It is perfectly wonderful. Do you suppose she is ever sorry for herself? She seems the merriest of us all. I don't think she remembers herself often enough to be sorry. She is always thinking of someone else, it seems to me. Well, I am glad to have seen her, added Rose in a more serious tone than was usual to her. She and my grandmamma are of a different order of beings from the rest of the world. I don't wonder you and Katie always were so good. You ought to be with such a cousin Helen. I don't think we were as good as you make us out, but cousin Helen has really been one of the strong influences of our lives. She was the making of Katie when she had that long illness, and Katie has made the rest of us. Little Rose from the first moment became the delight of the household, and especially of Amy Ashe, who could not do enough for her, and took her off her mother's hand so entirely that Rose complained that she seemed to have lost her child as well as her husband. She was a sedate little maiden, and wonderfully wise for her years. Already in some ways she seemed older than her erratic little mother, of whom in a droll fashion she assumed a sort of charge. She was a born housewife. Mamma, you have forgotten your wings, Clover heard her saying. Mamma, you have a whip on your sieve, you must mend it. Or, Mamma, don't forget that your teeth is on the top drawer. All these reminders and advices, being made particularly comical by the baby pronunciation, Rose's theory was that little Rose was a messenger from heaven, sent to buffet her and correct her mistakes. The bane and the antidote, she would say, think of my having a child with powers of ratiocination. Rose came down the night of her arrival after a long freshening nap, looking rested and bonny in a pretty blue dress, and saying that, as little Rose too had taken a good sleep, she might sit up to tea if the family liked. The family were only too pleased to have her do so. After tea, Rose carried her off, ostensibly to go to bed, but Clover heard a great deal of confabulating and giggling in the hall and on the stairs, and soon after, Rose returned. The doorbell rang loudly, and there entered an astonishing vision little rose costumed as a cupid or a carrier pigeon no one knew exactly which with a pair of large white wings fastened on her shoulders and dragging behind her by a loop of ribbon a sizable basket full of parcels straight toward katie she went and with her small hands behind her back and her blue eyes fixed full on katie's face repeated with the utmost solemnity the following poem i am a messenger you see from human's express tympany all these little bundles are from her auntie tatie ta if she knows what stood for her she will tis the messenger you sweet thing cried katie tissing the messenger with all my heart you never heard such a dear little poem did you write it yourself no mamma wrote it but she teached it to me so i could say it the bundles of course contained wedding gifts rose seemed to have brought her trunk full of them there were a pretty pair of salt cellars from Mrs. Redding, a charming paper-knife of silver, an antique coin set in a handle, from Sylvia, a hand-mirror mounted in brass from Esther Dearborn, a long towel with fringed and embroidered ends, from Ellen Gray, and from dear old Mrs. Redding, a beautiful lace-pin, set with a moonstone. Next came a little repoussé picture marked, with love from Mary Silver, then a parcel tied with pink ribbons, containing a card-case of Japanese leather, which was little Rose's gift and last of all rose's own present a delightful case full of ivory brushes and combs altogether never was such a satisfactory fardel brought by himmons or any other express company before 
and in opening the packages reading the notes that came with them and exclaiming and admiring time flew so fast that rose quite forgot the hour till little rose growing sleepy reminded her of it by saying mamma i guess i'd better go to bed now because if i don't i shall be too sleepy to see aunt teddy's wedding to-morrow dear me cried rose catching the child up this is simply dreadful what a mother i am things are come to pass indeed if babes and sucklings have to ask to be put to bed baby you ought to have been christened nathan the wise she disappeared with roseland's drowsy eyes looking over her shoulder next afternoon came ned and with him to katie's surprise and pleasure appeared the good old commodore who had played such a kind part in their affairs in italy the year before it was a great compliment that he should think it worth while to come so far to see one of his junior officers married and it showed so much real regard for ned that everybody was delighted these guests were quartered with mrs ashe but they took most of their meals with the cars and it was arranged that they with polly and amy should come to an early breakfast on the marriage morning after ned's arrival things did seem to grow a little fuller and busier for he naturally wanted katie to himself and she was too preoccupied to keep her calm grasp on events still all went smoothly and rose declared that there never was such a wedding since the world was made no tears no worries nobody looking tired nothing disagreeable clover's one great subject of concern was the fear that it might rain and there was little haze before the sunset the night before and she expressed her intention to cousin helen of lying awake all night to see how things looked i really feel as if i could not bear it if it should storm she said after all this fine weather too i know i shall not sleep a wink anyway i think we can trust god to take care of the weather even on katie's wedding day replied cousin helen gently and after all it was she who lay awake pain had made her a restless sleeper and as her bed commanded a great arch of western sky she saw the moon a sharp curved silver shape descend and disappear a little before midnight she roused again when all was still solemn darkness except for a spangle of stars and later opened her eyes in time to catch the faint rose flush of dawn reflect from the east she raised herself on her elbow to watch the light grow it is a fair day for the child she whispered to herself how good god is and then she slept again for a long restful space and woke refreshed so that katie's secret fear that cousin helen might be ill from excitement and not able to come to her wedding was not realized clover meantime had slept soundly all night she and katie shared the same room and waked almost at the same moment it was early still but the sisters felt bright and rested and ready for work so they rose at once they dressed in silence after a little whispered rejoicing over the beautiful morning and in silence took their bibles and sat down side by side to read their daily portion which was their habit then hand in hand they stole downstairs disturbing nobody softly opened doors and windows carried bowls and jars out on the porch and proceeded to arrange a great basket full of roses which had been brought the night before and set in the dew cool shade of the willows to keep fresh before breakfast all the house had put on festal airs summer had come early to burnet that year every garden was in bud and blossom and every one who had flowers had sent their best to grace katie's wedding the whole world seemed full of delicious smells each table and chimney-piece bore a fragrant load and a bowl of jacquemonts stood in the middle of the breakfast-table and two large jars of the same on the porch where clover had arranged various seats and cushions that it might serve as a sort of outdoor parlor nobody who came to that early breakfast ever forgot its peace and pleasantness and the sweet atmosphere of affection which seemed to pervade everything about it after breakfast came family prayers as usual dr carr reading the chapter 
and the dear old commodore joining with a hearty nautical voice in awake my soul and with the sun which was a favorite hymn with all of them ned jack katie's book and his face and hers alone would have been breakfast enough for the company if everything else had failed as rose remarked to clover in a whisper though nobody found any fault with more substantial fare which debbie had sent him previously somehow its little mutual service of prayer and praise seemed to fit in with the spirit of the day and give it its keynote it's just the sweetest wedding mrs ashe told her brother and the wonderful thing is that everything comes so naturally katie is precisely her usual self only a little more so i am under great obligations to amy for having that fever was ned's somewhat indiscreet answer but his sister understood what he meant breakfast over the guests discreetly removed themselves and the whole family joined in resettling the table for the luncheon which was to be at two katie and ned departing in the boat at four it was a simple but abundant repast with plenty of delicious home-cooked food oysters and salads and cold chicken fresh salmon from lake superior a big virginia ham baked to perfection red and translucent to its savory centre hot coffee and quantities of debbie's perfect rolls there were strawberries also and ice-cream and the best home-made cake and jellies and everywhere vases of fresh roses to perfume the feast when all was arranged there was still time for katie to make cousin helen a visit and then go to her room for a quiet rest before dressing and still the same unhurried air pervaded the house there had been a little discussion the night before as to just how the bride should make her appearance at the decisive moment but katie had settled it by saying simply that she should come downstairs and ned would meet her at the foot of the staircase it is the simplest way she said and you know i don't want any fuss i will just come down i dare say she is right remarked rose but it seems to me to require a great deal of courage and after all it didn't the simple and natural way of doing a thing generally turns out the easiest clover helped katie put on the wedding gown of soft crepe and creamy silk it was trimmed with old lace and knots of ribbon and katie wore with it two or three white roses which ned had brought her and a pearl pendant which was his gift then clover had to go downstairs to receive the guests and see that cousin helen's sofa was put in the right place and rose who remained behind had the pleasure of arranging katie's veil the yellow white of the old blonde was very becoming and altogether the effect though not stylish was very sweet katie was a little pale but otherwise exactly like her usual self with no tremors or self-consciousness presently little rose came up with a message auntie tover says that dr Torn has come everything is ready and you'd better come down she announced katie gave rose a last kiss and went down the hall but little rose was so fascinated by the appearance of the white dress and the veil that she kept fast hold of katie's hand disregarding her mother's suggestion that she should slip down the back staircase as she herself proposed to do no i want to do with aunt tatty she persisted so it chanced that katie came downstairs with pretty little rose clinging to her like a sort of impromptu bridesmaid and meeting ned's eyes as he stood at the foot waiting for her she forgot herself lost the sense of shyness which was creeping over her and responded to his look with a tender brilliant smile the light from the hall door caught her face and figure just then the color flashed into her cheeks and she looked like a beautiful happy picture of a bride and all by accident which was the best thing about it for prearranged effects are not always effective and are apt to betray the prearrangement then katie took ned's arm little rose let go of her hand and they went into the parlor and were married dr stone had an old-fashioned and very solemn wedding service which he was accustomed to use on such occasions he generally spoke of the bride as thy handmaiden 
which was a form that Clover particularly deprecated. He had also been known to advert to the world where there is neither marrying nor giving in marriage as a great improvement on this, which seemed to say the least an unfortunate illusion under the circumstances. But upon these occasions his feelings were warmed and touched, and he called Katie my dear child, which was much better than her handmaiden. When the ceremony was over, Ned kissed Katie, and her father kissed her, and the girls and Dory and Phil, and then, without waiting for any one else, she left her place and went straight to where cousin Helen lay on her sofa, watching the scene with those clear tender eyes in which no shadow of past regrets could be detected. Katie knelt down beside her, and they exchanged a long silent embrace. There was no need for words between hearts which knew each other so well. After that, for a little while, all was congratulations and good wishes. I think no bride ever carried more hearty goodwill into her new life than did my Katie. All sorts of people took Ned off into corners to tell him privately what a fortunate person he was in winning such a wife. Each fresh confidence of this sort was a fresh delight to him. He so thoroughly agreed with it. She's a prize, sir, she's a prize, old Mr. Warrett kept repeating, shaking Ned's hand with each repetition. Mrs. Warrett had not been able to come. She never left home now on account of the prevailing weakness of carrioles, but she sent Katie her best love and a gorgeous broom made of the tails of her own peacocks. Aren't you sorry you are not going to stay and have a nice time with us all and help eat up the rest of the cake, demanded Clover, as she put her head in the carriage for a last kiss two hours later. Very, said Katie, but she didn't look sorry at all. There's one comfort, Clover remarked valiantly, as she walked back to the house with her arm around Rose's waist. She is coming back in December, when the ship sails, and as likely as not, she will stay a year or perhaps two. That's what I like about the Navy. You can eat your cake and have it too. Husbands go off for good long times, and leave their wives behind them. I think it's delightful. I wonder if Katie will think it quite so delightful, remarked Rose. Girls are not always anxious to ship their husbands off, for what you call good long times. I think she ought. It seems to me perfectly unnatural that anyone should want to leave her own family and go away for always. I like Ned dearly, but except for this blessed arrangement about going to sea, I don't see how Katie could. Clover, you are a goose. You will be wiser one of these days. See if you aren't, was Rose's only reply. End of chapter 3 Recording by Ellie August 2009